What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Andrew Marshall, an LA-based drummer who's been kicking ass and traveling the world with Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas. He was one of the first drummers I met after moving to LA, and we've been friends ever since. He was actually a guest on the now-defunct Big Fat Snare Drum podcast back in 2019, before I switched to the format Big Fat Five, which actually became a step-by-step YouTube video on how to set up the drum automation for live shows in Ableton. He's a wizard when it comes to all that stuff, and please go check out that YouTube video if you're interested on the Big Fat Snare Drum YouTube page. But yeah, Andrew wouldn't have his current gig if he wasn't both an amazing drummer and a great hang, so I hope you enjoy the five records that helped shape Andrew Marshall into the drummer he is today. Cheers. I do want to start off by letting everyone know, I think I've told this story on the Jason McGurr podcast when he brought you up, actually. But I want everyone to know how good of a dude you are because it was maybe 2017, maybe 18, but we were both playing at the Echo. And it's the first time I met you. I think you had a big beard, bigger than mine at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. We ended up using my kit. And I think you were the first or second band. You were playing with uh, Maya Manser. Yes, she's from Seattle, and so I knew her uh, prior to this. But and then a band I was in was playing last, and you stayed till the very end and still helped me load my drums. You didn't have to do that. I think you had already had the Billy gig at that point. You didn't bring it up, and it was just one of those like your integrity is was was proven that night. So I appreciate it. I want everyone to know you're a decent dude when no one's watching. So thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That was a really fun night. Um, well, have you done any of the pro drum or Nelson drum shop grooves of the day thing yet? I have not. All right. Well then good. That is the question then. So if you were to walk in, um, I think you and me both have a mutual love for both those shops, but if you were to walk in and they said, Andrew, here's some sticks, what would you play if you had 30 seconds to just be nervous? I'd be like, um, I'm okay. Thank you very much. You should call (laughs) someone else. And then I would probably leave. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the Uh, correct answer. Yeah. No, I, I would probably play some like mid tempo, like rock or funk groove, which is like usually what I play in soundcheck. Any, any particular song? Not really. I don't think so. I would hope that actually I hadn't played that day because I feel like what I would play would be the most inspired. I find that, Mm. um, I've actually like thought about trying to document some of these things. Like I find that the first thing I play in a given day is like kind of the best thing that I play all day. Somehow, like, I don't know. It's just, I, I like, I'm not thinking yet or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right. So for this, for this, for the top five, what was your plan of attack? Because as I always say, I know I do give uh, my guests kind of a prompt of how it shaped you and suggest maybe in chronological order, but I kind of, it's totally open-ended. So how did you go about picking it? And are these in any particular order? 
Yeah, it was actually really fun. Um, and uh, I mentioned this to you before. I I basically made this huge playlist. Like I just threw everything at the wall, and then I figured, okay, I'll whittle it down to five, which I did. And now I have this amazing playlist of like all this random like my favorite music that I've never. I mean. You know, I could name it all, I guess, and I have thought about it, but I never like put it all in a playlist like that's that big. So thanks. It's just it's such a rad playlist. I love it. But I actually um, I was talking to somebody about this recently. I like had, I guess, like most of my old iTunes library or libraries, like from back in the day when I was like buying CDs and importing them and stuff and like downloading stuff. And there's probably like some things that I had like downloaded on LimeWire back in the day. And then like they ended up my iTunes library. I basically went through a bunch of hard drives and like sort of consolidated everything. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Cause like now I've just lost everything. It's just like search any artist and then you have your, their whole discography. But you know, yeah, there's something kind of missing there because like I had this iTunes library that was like pretty, you know, curated and, a lot of it is not on Spotify or Tidal or Apple Music or whatever, especially like weird, like obscure, like jazz records from the 90s and shit. So I looked in one of these hard drives and I just scrolled through all the folders, which was like my old iTunes library. And then I sort of cross referenced with, you know, Tidal and tried to like, you know, find stuff. And that's how I that's how I made the playlist. So it was Damn, great. you did your homework. I love this. Yeah, I was like, this is a good opportunity to go through stuff I haven't listened to in a long time. So. Yeah, it's really absolutely. Nice. And so, sorry, did you say they were in any particular order of when they were introduced to you? Or was it just kind of like, oh, this one, then this one, then this one? Oh, right. You know, actually, they're, I think they're chronological, which it said, like, in the note, like, you know, you can put it in chronological order, but you don't have to. And I put it in chronological order. And then I was like, huh, this is actually roughly the order in which I discovered these things. Oh, um, yeah. And I think it was because... By by the time we get to the later stuff, like I was in college or something, and I, I was pretty up on new music by then, whereas like in middle school and high school, I was whatever, checking out like older stuff or stuff my teachers said that I should listen to or, you know, so my development went like that. I mean, you know, that's not true for a lot of people. I think I was kind of like square until like I started discovering new shit, you know, but yeah, so it's it's chronological and it's also in order of my development roughly. Yeah, I'm similar. My childhood music is not, you know, Limp Biscuit and Britney Spears like it should be. It's whatever yes. my dad was listening to on his construction site when I was hanging out with them. It's kind of all over the place. But let's just go to number one. So the album is The Birthday Concert. The release year was 1995, but you said it was recorded in 81. And it's uh, Jacob Astorius. And the song choice is The Soul Intro uh, slash The Chicken. And it's uh, Peter Erskine. So when did you hear this and why? So it's kind of interesting because I came into this, well, through Jocko really was, was the influence. Like I, I was such a huge Jocko Pastorius fan and I actually, I played a lot of bass in high school. I took bass lessons for years. Um, Before drums? No, I, I started playing drums and then some years later I started taking bass lessons and, and playing bass. And like, I, you know, I think like so many like high school jazz kids, I was really into Jocko Pastorius or at least bass players, you know? Mm -hmm. So I checked out a lot of Weather Report and Jocko's solo records, and especially this one, which is a live album, recorded um, in the early 80s, and it wasn't released until the mid-90s, posthumously. You know, I heard the record, and I was like, who's the drummer? Peter Erskine, oh my God. And, like, that phase of Peter Erskine's career, like Weather Report and Jocko, like, 
it's just incredible. I mean, he's so funky. His his feel is incredible. His right hand, there, like you'll hear, there's this like unbelievable. His hi hat uh, with his right hand is just like smoking, and it's just it's amazing. This is the first track, which is soul intro. I don't I don't I mean I it's just the intro to the show, and then they just go into the chicken, which again was like a tune that I was playing in like all these bands and like funk bands and that I was playing in and like high school, like jazz combos and things. So I love the tune and I love all the players. In your escapades, did you ever get a chance to to meet Peter? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I met him once. Um, very briefly. I went to see him play at the jazz standard in New York. Mm. I just, I don't know. I don't know how it, it happened, but I just ended up meeting him and he was like, oh, you're a drummer. Drummers get sticks. And he gave me a pair of sticks. So that was cool. <laughs> Drummers get sticks. It's good guy. philosophy. Yeah. Good evening, everybody. I'd like to say hello to my mother. I love that, too. Yeah. How they start the record. just absolutely burning yeah some of that zigaboo in there yeah totally Jocko is just unreal yeah it's insane yeah he's on fire hi-hat playing so pleasing yeah he just plays this groove for like seven minutes straight and just slamming the whole time yeah why was that not released until like 14 years after that that's insane that sounds incredible 
Yeah, I know. I, I wonder actually, and I might actually like dive in and see if I can find out, but you know, I, who knows? Like the whole Jaco Pastoria story is so sad. You know, who knows what was going on? Like maybe they found tapes or something from years before. And it's, it's one of my favorite things that he ever recorded. I mean, it's just, it's just so amazing. What, what, what did happen to him? I don't, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the end of his life. He died at like 35. He, uh, had, um, like serious mental health issues and like substance abuse stuff. And like sort of after weather report, like he started like going through this like really sad decline and, Mm. um, ended up like homeless at times. And, um, he was basically, he got into some altercation in a club or like he'd like tried to break into some club in Florida in, in like 87. And, um, the bouncer basically beat him into a coma and like he passed away after that. It was horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's really sad, but I'm, I'm glad we have, you know, the output that he he did produce. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, I'll be the first one to say in a lot of these conversations, there's people I should know more about and I don't. I, I actually haven't ever gone down a rabbit hole of Jocko. So this is sick. And, and I love Peter. So I want to go down even more of that. Yeah. And I, I love to hear that, too, because like it's it's so interesting to me, like where people's musical um backgrounds and are and like the things that they've like become obsessed with like i was like i mean i like i mean there are you know several artists and musicians and that are like this for me that are just so huge and like uh i listened to them for so many years and other people don't know who they are and then it's like i mean vice versa you know people will mm-hmm. talk about all these bands that they've been obsessed with and it's like man I don't know. Maybe it's just some like it's just existential or whatever, but like music world is huge and you know, it's cool to yeah, that we have those differences. Hey y'all, I wanted to <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye do you, is there any other, it's kind of a tangent, but are there any artists that you can name right now that 
admittedly, you're like, I should know about this artist, but I really don't. I have never gone down their rabbit hole, and it's embarrassing to admit. I'm basically making you be uh, embarrassed yourself right now, but then I'll go after you. So, oh, at at this point, I have no shame. I, it's just I don't know. I feel <laughs> yeah, like we're I drummers. Know, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, I mean, there there's so many, man. I mean, and it, that's that just goes to show. Like Prince is one. I mean, mm-hmm. I know like the hits, I guess, and I've listened to a couple of things, but like I'm not really all that familiar. I mean, so much classic rock, like. Mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of glossed over Led Zeppelin and I mean, I'm a Bonham fan. I've, I've seen videos and I've heard all the hits and stuff, but like, I don't really, I can't like name this song on that record or whatever. I think it's impossible to, to like really, really know everything you're quote unquote supposed to know. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know the who, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> or the Stones actually, again, just like the hits and their influence on music, but I've never really sat down and listened to those bands. I will say that I have generally, I think for, at least in my earlier development, I was really into like session players and I was always checking out records based on what, you know, Jeff Beccaro played on or Steve Gadd or, you know, uh, whoever. Um, I didn't really get into bands so much until later. So that was, I think, part of that. You know, I wasn't like a teenager who was super into Nirvana. I kind of mm-hmm. like went back and checked out In Utero like later, you know, sure. um, as part of my... I don't know. I don't want to say homework, but I was like, I should know this kind of thing. Well, I'm happy that I definitely know this next record, and it is one of my favorites as well. So the album is Soul Vaccination, Tower of Power Live. And the release here is 1999. The artist is, of course, Tower of Power. And uh, David Garibaldi, which is the bane of my existence now because I am I am knee-deep in future sounds, as I'm sure a lot of drummers listening are. But um, such a good pick. So yeah, take it away. I love Tower Power and I love David Garibaldi and they would come to New York where I grew up. I think they did, they would do this residency at BB Kings like once a year, like in March, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, I would go and I remember, I think the first time I saw them, I like sat front, like in the front and I like had my arm on the stage and it was just like, it was unbelievable. And, um, as like a semi drum nerdy kid, like David Garibaldi just absolutely completely blew my mind. I mean, amazing. And I went through his books and, you know, I still like actually like really want to go through through them again. But the thing with him is like everything grooves so hard and is so funky, but it's still so complicated. And I think like, um, that was a really good lesson in that, like, no matter what you're playing, like it has to groove. And he just always like grooved his ass off. And all the linear stuff is just amazing and also the the sounds like his that piccolo snare thing is like it was like the only snare sound that i wanted to play until i was like 21 or something because it's just so fun to like have a snare like that oh absolutely it feels the best i mean i like i know i work for big fat snare drum but you know chris stop listening but those are the funnest (laughs) snares to play absolutely they are yeah, yeah. Well, now all I want to play is the other one, so it's come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, damn it. <laughs> this is not a paid promotion. Oh, and so the other thing is that this was this record was actually like how I discovered Tower of Power, which is kind of weird because it's a live album. Um, and Same like for me, of, by the way. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yep. I don't know how that happened. Um, I think maybe somebody gave it to me or something, but like a lot of people would like say like, what is hip or the Oakland Stroke or like, I don't know, Rhythm and Business or something, but like this version of soul vaccination is just so incredible Mm -hmm. 
so insane. Like, this groove is is just ridiculous. How did he come up with this beat? It's insane. <laughs> Don't ask me. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I edited it out, but people listening, I played the wrong song at the beginning. And you were nice enough. You just let me play like 30 seconds of it. Well, because uh, I was digging it, man. I yeah, was like, true. you know what? Maybe we should just go with this one. Yeah, you know? plug it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, they just always toured so hard and played live so much. They're just such an incredible live band. And I think like, I mean, that, maybe that's part of why I love this, this so much is just because I feel like they're, they're just so great live. Mm-hmm. You know, you, gotta, you just have to go see them live. Absolutely. To really understand. All right, number three, the album is To the Stars. The release here is 2004. The artist is the Chick Corea Electric Band. Song choice is Mistress, Luck, Dash the Party. And the drummer is Dave Weckl. So take it away. I'll say that actually fusion was really what I discovered first, um, at least in terms of my like journey of listening to any jazz or improvised music. Like I said, I mean, Jaco Pastorius, Weather Report, and also very much Chick Corea and the Electric Band. And and then, you know, that was sort of my gateway into like some other things. But um, I was just really, really into fusion for, for a long time. And, and Dave Weckl is, he's Dave Weckl, you know, he's the master. He's the king, yeah. He's the king. Um, this was another situation where I basically discovered them live. I would like go into the city and like my dad would like take me to jazz clubs to just like motivate me to, you know, practice and stuff. And we would sort of go like randomly and like in the beginning. And then I would like know who was playing. I would like, you know, look things up and I, you know, discovered who Chick Corea was and I would like to be like, let's go see that, that him or whoever. But this, it might, it might've actually been a random night. We just like went to the blue note and I think it was like the Chick Corea electric band. I don't exactly remember. <laughs> Um, I was like 13, I think, and um, I've I got to see Chikoria a bunch of times with the electric band several times and the acoustic band, and yeah, I mean I saw Dave Weckl play for the first time and, and John Patitucci and you know the whole electric band. And it was just I was like, oh, this is actually perfection. This is this is what drumming is, you know, when it is perfect. <laughs> I, it just absolutely absolutely blew me away. And the only reason I like chose this record was because they just happened to be like I guess touring on that record. 
yeah, I didn't know it at all, but I just, that was what was for sale at the merch table. So I just bought it and, um, the whole record is insane. And this was another one where I was like, I don't know. I mean, they're all the tunes are so great. I, I think it's like, I actually, it's like kind of a concept album. It's like based on an L. Ron Hubbard book or something. I don't even actually know, really. I, I think I read about it briefly. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like, honestly, I just like glossed over that whole thing. I'm just like Dave Weckl is the shit, you know? <laughs> so like whatever. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these like interludes of like, I think it's supposed to be like you're traveling through space and they're like porthole views out of the spaceship or something, but. Drugs um, are fun, kids. Yeah, exactly. But this is, um an example of the, the Dave Weckl song go, which is another thing that I became obsessed with and like would shed and all the time. And like, he's, um, I mean, his like Latin salsa, Afro-Cuban, you know, fusion thing is, is just rad and his facility is unreal. So this is like a great example of that. Also, he does this like hi-hat splashes like throughout, which I really dug, you know, as a nerd or whatever. Um, so anyway, that's this tune. All right, here we go. Uh, Soul with a capital S. No, I'm kidding. Mistress Luck, <laughs> the party. So they start at about a level 10. It's, you know, it's just like slamming from the top. Yeah. And do I know where the one is? No. Yeah, who cares? sounds like eight people. Yeah. He sounds like a whole percussion section. It's awesome. Did he still have his mullet when you saw him? I think it was, yeah, I think it was the mullet era. Hell yeah. Yeah. Kids, drugs are fun. Yeah. Here we go again. It just it just keeps barreling. I don't even know what the form is. Yeah. Here we go again. <laughs> So 
So yeah. you might have said it, but what? What? So your dad was a musician, or he was just a uh, an appreciator of it? Just an appreciator, and um, you know, he recognized that like I had an interest, and you know, or an obsession, you know, yeah, and um, recognized somehow that live music was a great way to keep me motivated, and it it really was, you know, like so, so many. I just got to see so many amazing people. I was very grateful to like to grow up in the New York area and to be able to like go down to the blue note or the Vanguard on, or anywhere, like on any given night. And I got a little older and I started going to like rock shows and stuff. Um, so yeah, that, that was just like, that was a huge source of motivation and inspiration. Did you ever see Roy Haynes? Uh, that was an, yeah, another, yeah. like I had to just sadly leave off the list, but I saw him play unbelievable at the Vanguard sat next to him, like, mm. you know, up in the front where I just like could watch his, feet the whole time it was incredible the weckle thing i actually speaking of subbing in the electric band i saw them play with victor wooten once which was really cool too and not that i play like dave weckle at all but i was really obsessed with him for a long time i played his sticks i set my kid up like him i had a two up two down you know and yeah i like devoured every like all of his like educational materials and stuff so are his yeah. sticks they're like maroon they're kind of like like a like an ox blood or am I thinking of someone else? Those those are the old ones. He has mm. he has two. Although I I you know it's been a minute. I I think they're still the same. Maybe he has a different different ones now. But basically, um, he in like the eighties and early nineties he was using those like maroon ones, um, and then he did some studying with Freddie Gruber, who was like yeah I don't know for people who don't know he was like um he taught a bunch of really heavy drummers in, I think in the nineties, eighties and nineties. He just like completely revolutionized Dave's like whole technique and setup, And he changed, like he changed everything, like the way he set up and he redid his signature stick, I guess. And it's like, it's heavier. And it's like, I think it's like heavier toward the back. Those are like the orange ones. Those are the ones that I played forever. It's insane to me that Dave Weckl will, would trust someone so much being Dave Weckl and going, I'm going to switch everything up. It's I, that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's cool to hear, hear or like watch videos of him like pre and post Fred, Freddie Gruber. Cause it's kind of like two different players. He was like so much more fluid after that. Like, and, and, you know, from already being, I mean, he was already in the electric band before that. So it's like, he was already, you know, a monster. And then he just, it, he just like unlocked this whole other dimension of fluidity and space and, and tone and, you know, yeah. Wow. All right. Well, to take a total 180, and I love this record, and no one has brought this up before. So the album is is A Real Boy. The release mm -hmm. year is 2004. The artist is Say Anything. Song choice is Belt. And the drummer, I didn't even know who the drummer for uh, Say Anything was or is for this record. So it's Kobe Linder. But yeah, take it away. Yeah. Um, I wasn't really familiar with him either you know this was sort of one of the rare uh, well rare to this point times where like i got into a band you know not through like the musicians who were playing with some artist or something mm -hmm. or some band i got into high school and i was you know pretty into what i might like to call like musician-y music um you know r&b and and like funk and fusion and jazz and stuff i joined like a pop punk band with some friends I, they were like, <laughs> no, play this, the symbol with the side of the stick, not the tip and like hit harder. <laughs> and also like would go really deep on like kick drum patterns and specific fills and things. And it was just like a whole other like type of 
playing than what I had been doing up to that point, which was like, oh, what is the song? It's a funk groove or like it's swing or like, or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, mostly like from an improvised music like type place. So um, that was like a really cool, like eye opening thing. And um, I got into a lot of these bands, like Warped Tour bands and stuff um, and like rock and pop music and, and um, say anything was huge. This, this record came out around that time and the one after it in defense of the genre too is really great. Um, this record, this was like one of the ones where I just struggled to like, pick a song because they're they're all amazing and I got to see them play a bunch of times and I love how like raw this is while still like having some like sort of sort of like sugary sweet like sensibilities about it it's a good melodically, way to put it, yeah. yeah like melodically and harmonically um this is a very interesting thing that I don't know that I really actually ever talked about it with anyone I don't know if it's like really talked about from a drum point of view like pop punk music or punk where like the drummers and you know Kobe in, in this tune is like he's catching everything that the vocal does and like the groove changes every four bar the beat is like different and like it just goes with the music it's like such a through composed like part to the very end you know like I said like being in this band and being introduced to all that that sort of playing that was like that was new for me and I think it's just such a cool thing how like the drums just like can accentuate they just accentuate every single little thing yeah that would be my intro to this. It's a great, great song. Yeah. All right, well, here we go. I have to record the spoken word introduction to the record. Still? Yep. It's only a few lines, but I'm having anxiety about God, this brings you back. Wow. Yeah. And the record begins with a song of rebellion. This rim thing, I you know, is so great, and I use it all the time now. Riding on the rim. Everything, every little thing. But I managed to escape the good shot arm. I fled through field and farm, stripped of natural charm. Naked blood that felt I wear so well.
small words say When they say them that way Made them sweat, feathered as a crow I laid a beating of the sleet and snow With my frostbitten toes Remained unrecognized in my hometown I was gonna say the way they get into that second chorus is like different from the first one yeah. And that's like, that's another thing where like, I just was at that time really learning a lot about crafting parts and crafting. I mean, I, this, this drum part to me is like, like I said, it, you know, it just, it changes so much and it's such an integral part to the, the arc of the song, you know, mm -hmm. it's like almost like another vocal or something. Yeah. I, I took a lot from that. Just, you know, like just really, you know, crafting drum parts that really like, supported the song in a very intentional way. So yeah, I mean, that there's like a lot to that music that people don't like necessarily talk about or realize like it's, it's deep in there. Like if you were to sit down and try to learn that song, it would be like, I don't know. I feel like it would take me a long time. Cause like there's so many, there's so many different parts in there. Um, I've always been amazed by like, you know, those type of tunes where it's like, man, like how do they learn all this stuff? Like I'm sitting there listening go like, God, it's unbelievable. And like, probably they weren't, I don't know if they were charting it out. Like, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I would have to, but um, <laughs> that's just so amazing to me. Another thing about say anything, this record they do in particular, I, I don't, I don't know if it was recorded to a click. Doesn't really seem like it. To I wouldn't me. think like, so either. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing about like where, like how the the tempos move. The tempos just move. Like they, you know, they kind of like the often like they'll slow down into a verse or something, or like it's like first couple times I heard it, I was like, whoa, this is weird. Like these tempos are like moving. And now after having listened to that a lot, I'm like, that's the sound of that genre, I think. Like, or this specific part of that genre is that the, they just, you just sort of slow down to the verse. Like that's what, I don't know. Mm -hmm. All right. So number four, or sorry, number five, the album is The Bell's Sketch. The release here is 2010. The artist is James Blake. The song choice is Buzzard and Kestrel. And the drummer slash programmer producer in the record is James Blake, because um, yeah, not a lot, not a lot of this is is the real drum sounds. But um, take it away. This was I discovered this around around the time it came out. Like I was saying, like you know, by this point I was, I guess I was in college and I was like uh, really like really really up on new music. And this was actually I th I'm pretty sure it's James Blake's first recorded output. It's an EP. Okay. Um, his first EP, 2010, I believe. And um, I think he was like in college. He might have been like 21 or something. He does sing some on this record, but like not really. It's like all like totally like vocoded to hell. And you can't even tell. Like when I looked it up, I was like, oh, he did sing on this record. Like you can barely even tell. So it's like, it's like to me, it's like basically just production, which it's a really cool like early era of James Blake that like I feel like a lot maybe more people like don't know about. And um, I always loved this stuff because it was like sort of um, in some ways like the beginnings of like the bedroom production thing. Um, and I just thought it was like so unbelievably unique. I at the time was I had, for the past couple of years previous to then and, you know, around then I was like getting into electronic music a lot more. And I was sort of, I was discovering a lot of drummers who played in these types of situations and in pop situations and like realizing that I wanted to do that, you know, after I got out of school and I really loved all the technology and, you know, uh, where there's like a laptop doing something or whatever, you know, like pads and just, I like, I was really interested in 
how they like translated this music to the live setting. And I went and saw James Blake some a couple of years after this, and it was just like it blew my mind. And, and the drummer had like a, a really cool like electro setup. And I do a fair amount of programming now. Um, and like I've I've always loved that as a like method of expression as well. Like you know just programming drums. I feel like it's yeah. I mean playing is great too, but programming is also an art form, and mm-hmm. I love to do that. So. And I got so into it, actually, that I went to study abroad in London, mostly because of the electronic music scene that was there around that time. It just, like, so much amazing shit. And I, like, went there and just, like, went out all the time and saw so many shows and, you know, a lot of electronica and stuff. And um, it was formative for me because I I also got to play a lot around town and, like, I played in some groups and I came home because uh, I was sort of, like, floating in college a little bit. I, like... I don't know. I just like wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly. And I like, I don't know, I didn't love school. And so I just, I came home and I was like galvanized to like finish up and start getting to play and tour and stuff. Mm. What Um, were you studying? Well, that was part of it. I was like floating around. I I started in uh, like a five-year dual degree program with jazz studies and liberal arts. Mm. And then like I ended up leaving the jazz program and I like I don't know, I kind of thought I might do, like, music business for a second and or, like, not even do music. I don't know. Like, I was sort of getting told by that, like, you know, if you do music, like, you better you better make sure that's the only thing you can do because, like, it's really hard. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to find, I'm going to try to find something else, you know. And <laughs> well, then fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and I, I couldn't. I hated everything else, you know. <laughs> so um, it was, it was a, you know, a process of self-exploration, which you do in college. Yep. I, I went to London and I like was so inspired by all this amazing music and some amazing musicians I got to play with there. And I came home and I was just, um, I was galvanized. So I ended up graduating in English literature of all things, but I was just playing the whole time. And by the time I was like a junior in college, I was like, go, I would, you know, I'd go on road trips to go play at South by Southwest or whatever. And I was like submitting papers from the van, you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. So yeah, it was, it was like a really, it was like a wild time and it was very, um, you know, it was, it was formative and I was just a sponge and I was like, okay, I need to soak in as much music as I possibly can before I get out of school and I have to actually try to make a living at it, you know? Well, it's cool that you were, you were turned on by that, the electronic scene and, and the technology and all that. And then a lot of what you do with Billy and Phineas and, and help other artists do you're kind of at the forefront of what the drum technology can do live and experiment that way um so that's that that's cool it's kind of a full circle thing for you that now you're the dude people turn to for well what are they doing for their show you know it's Thanks. cool yeah it, it is amazing uh it's it's really like wild how it worked out and um like yeah i i can point to that time as sort of being like the beginnings of like things that led to what I do now. Um, and you know, it, it was, it was a really good fit, I think, because like I had to, you know, draw on and expand on a lot of things that I had already been like putting in motion up to that point. Also, another thing is that like this tune in particular, the sounds are so carefully chosen, which you can just tell from the music, like the drum, the whole drum groove basically is like it's like a stick click on beat one and then this snare that like plays the rest of the notes in the bar with like a sort of varying dynamic kind of groove thing. And that's like basically it. There's like some other layers that come in later and like one in particular actually that's really cool. But 
you know, it, to me, it's just like obvious that he either recorded or he like scrolled through a million stick click samples and treated it like the exact right way. Cause it's just like, that is the only sound that's happening at that time, you know? Um, and I just thought that was like a really cool thought. Like I went from like, just like playing funk grooves and, and or whatever, you know, or like backing up like soloists to like crafting drum parts in my, like in the rock band of high school until, and then at this point it was like, okay, crafting sounds, you know, and like really choosing sounds really carefully and letting them breathe and letting them like be the only thing that's happening, which, you know, obviously, and you know, now with Billy and Phineas, that's a big part of it too. Like mm -hmm. some of the music is very minimal and those things are all really important. So, you know, I sort of like realized the importance of it early on when I was listening to all this, this kind of music. Um, also the layering, you know, like he introduced one part and then let it marinate for a while and sort of like grow a little bit and, and like fade away. And then like another layer will come in and I just felt like it's, it's like just really thoughtfully crafted, you know? So I try to do that now, depend, you know, depending on what I'm working on, if the music calls for it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, here's Buzzard and Kestrel. It's like the perfect click sound. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. We just listened to four bars of drums and he turned the verb off. Yeah. Like, it's like really highlighting every little thing. again. Mm -hmm. sounds yeah that work together in like really interesting ways I do want to make sure that this is one of the texts that we were talking about yesterday so well, I'm gonna give you one honorable mention mention so it is D'Angelo's uh, untitled how does it feel uh, from the album voodoo and the releasers 2000 
Sir Questlove is the drummer. So, yeah, why did this... Uh, I'll just consider it. Why did this make the list? I am so surprised that nobody has chosen this yet. I mean, yeah, there's been, a, there's been a D'Angelo song, but not, not this one. This is... His body of work is incredible. To me, this is the D'Angelo song. Like, Interesting. Um, um, it, Pino Palladino, Questlove. The bass and drum, like, rhythm section thing is, is like actually like extremely simple and you know there are tons of space and everything but like just the the widest pocket of all time it's amazing it's just so amazing and this was i mean this is a real cultural moment like i don't know if anybody remembers the video like it was like on mtv i guess in like 2000 or whatever where it's just it's just like a camera panning around d'angelo's half naked body and he's just like shredded (laughs) (laughs) yeah anything like the album cover yeah oh my god it was ridiculous and it sort of like ruined him for many years because like people like he would be playing and people would be like take your shirt off and it just i mean like what a you know Eventually, it became a huge bummer. But yeah. um, this this is a real landmark record, Voodoo, and you know had a huge influence on so many genres of music and so many musicians. And um, you know, I, I went through a real like neo soul, like soul Quarians type like phase. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's a great record and just an amazing song. So yeah, well, here we go. Pino is so far behind the uh, quest love. It's so cool. It's insane. <laughs> He's so behind. It's wild. So far behind. Yeah. tidbit of that but um all right so people i'm sure um know where to find you but is there anything potentially you want to talk about uh, as a little self-promotion and then i'll let you go you can say no if you don't want to <laughs> yeah not really um i kind of uh am chilling a little bit right now i just came off you know a lot of touring and um yes, you know, you have did. Some, a little bit more coming up this summer but i'm kind of just like laying low and hanging out so i don't really have much like to talk about at this very moment but i'm down to eat tacos or something if anyone wants yeah dude no i think that's your self-promotion is that you are taking some needed self-care after touring that's a that's a good thing to promote yeah i'm 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 all for that and i think that we should all do more of it psa 
All right, here's this week's little skinny one from Mike Powers. Hey, Ben, Mike Powers here from Boston and the band Lucky 13. Just wanted to say I've been a big fan of your show for a long time. Um, I learn something every week. I learn something new to listen to. I discovered Can listening to your uh, your episode. Um, my favorite episode was the one with James Katzen, just awesome. So my suggestion for a listener pick is Maceo Parker, Life on Planet Groove, came out in 1992. It features Kenwood Denard on drums. Kenwood Denard played with a bunch of different uh, artists, including Jocko. Um, he's not on a ton of recordings, as far as I know, but this one, when I first heard it, blew me away. Listen to Shake Everything You've Got. It's the opening track, and the groove in the pocket is so deep, and it's a live record, so you get that whole vibe. So anyway, that's my pick. The whole thing is good, but uh, it really was influential on my drumming. So keep up the great work. Love your show. Look forward to your new episode every week. Take care. I know that one was a little hard to hear, but I just wanted to get Mike's voice on the air. So his pick was Maceo Parker, Life on Planet Groove, featuring Kenwood Denard on drums. And here's the opening track, Shake Everything You've Got. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. the show if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews do that it helps more people find the show so it'll get bigger and better and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'll be an og listener that can brag to all your friends anyways why don't you go and check us out at bigfatsnaredrum.com and follow us on all the socials just search for big fat snare drum and you will find us the show is edited in part using isotope rx audio editor it's amazing so go check that out at isotope.com and thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.